Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. Good evening. Welcome to Worldview. Welcome to everybody who's here in the building and a warm welcome to everybody who's listening to, uh, to this online. Um, thank you for coming. Um, tonight is our last session on Worldview. Everybody say, oh, I know. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun and um, it's been a privilege to be able to share on such an important topic. So um, it's definitely been a journey. We've covered a lot of content over the topics and subjects that we've talked about. I think it was back in March when we first started with an introduction to Christian worldview. And we looked at those basic questions. What is a worldview? Uh, more precisely, what is a Christian worldview? Uh, why is it important to have a Christian worldview? Um, what is the importance of having a robust and well-informed worldview? And we addressed the question of um, does Christianity have at basis, at its foundation, um, a rational grounding or is it reasonable to be a Christian? We aren't going to go into great detail on any of those tonight. Tonight is more of a summary uh, than it is going into detail. If you want that detail, you can go back to those videos or um, some of those recordings and listen there. The Christian worldview incorporates a deep relationship with God as well as a defense of the truths of the Christian faith. It's one thing to know Jesus as Lord, and it's another thing to show Jesus as Lord. We looked at a fundamental area or a uh, essential doctrine of the Christian message, which was of creation. That was straight after introduction. And that is a very pivotal point in the Christian message, that this world is created, that it's not just here by sheer accident, it's not necessary, um, it's not purely by chance, but that it's designed and that's created. Not every worldview shares that. And a quote by uh, Richard Dawkins comes to mind. He says, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties that we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. So clearly, there are many people out there with a different worldview when it comes to creation and design. Not everyone agrees that this world is designed. We went over several reasons and evidences as to why this universe is designed um, and at bottom has a powerful, good designer, i.e. God. We looked at the nature of miracles. Um, we looked at the relationship between miracles and science. We saw how science and the Christian faith share a deep concord, concordance. We looked at the sanctity of life. We looked into uh, why all forms of life at all stages are valuable and why they ought to be protected and cherished. We looked at the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus makes the best sense and great sense of all the historical facts that surround the life and the nature of the life of Jesus. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, that also means that we too will rise from the dead. How awesome. The world looks at life with the anticipation of death. The Christian looks at death with the anticipation of life. We looked at immortality, that the Christian can make great sense of death, why death is a reality, but it can also hold to 
a future hope of immortality. We briefly looked at ethics, bit of a tricky topic that one, and in the midst of sometimes the messiness of life, where it's not always straightforward to know what the right or wrong answer is, we can always have at foundation the law of love. Love is always a great place to start when it comes to ethics. The last time we were together, we looked at the problem of evil and suffering, and we saw uh, that although this is the biggest objection that's most commonly raised against uh, God, we saw that God in the end becomes the clear, um, unequivocal answer to the problem of evil, that Jesus really cares about suffering and that um, Jesus is with us in our suffering and that ultimately Jesus is the answer to um, suffering and that one day he will wipe away every tear and make all wrongs right. So I think that throughout the year, uh, we've laboured on the point that for us as Christians, it is so vital to have a well-informed, robust Christian worldview for our own spiritual maturity as Christians, to be able to give an answer for the hope that's within us, for others and those who are interested, while doing that with gentleness and respect. That's an important part not to miss out. Um, And having a very well-structured worldview glorifies God as it fulfills all that we are created and called to be as humans, as his image bearers. And so tonight I thought that rather than have me just discuss more and cover more topics um, and close it out by myself, I thought what better way to do it than have uh, two very close people who I love and know well uh, come up and share with me. And so tonight we're going to Welcome Mark Robinson and Sandra Goody up with me, if we could do that now. Well, welcome. Thanks for coming, guys. We, um, I'm sure many of us here know you and have met you before, but for those who are listening and watching online or perhaps are here don't know you, could you briefly just introduce yourself, what you do and, um, and why you do that? Did we want to start maybe with Sandra? Ladies first, that's always a safe premise. Yeah. Well, hi, I'm Sandra. I've actually pursued many things in my life so far. I have pursued um, dance and law and mission work and I've spent a considerable amount of time raising my family. But for the last 10 plus years, I have been lecturing in theology um, and I've done that in several different colleges. So I started off with Harvest Bible College. I've lectured at um, the Evening College at Hillsong, then City Point Ministry College and more recently at Christian Heritage College. So the latter part of my life, I've really dedicated to training and um, bringing up the next generation to be biblically literate and to understand and know God and the Bible to be spiritually transformed um, and to leave a legacy. So I'm kind of, as I get older, (laughs) I've been focusing more on leaving a legacy and um, making sure the next generation knows the Word of God and is able to, um, you know, effectively wield that. And to, and to basically just be a fiery witness in the generation we live and to be able to understand the times we live in and how that relates to the overarching biblical narrative. So that's basically what I've been doing. Um, well, that's my focus at the moment, training and discipling others um, for the next generation. 
thanks for sharing. And um, this is Mark Robinson. This is also my dad. So I'm just going to call him dad for the rest of the night, I think. Um, hey, son. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm going to refer to him as Mark Robinson for the rest of the night now. So that's all right. um, how are you going, Can Mark? Can I call you Mitchell Robinson? Is that all right? We'll just go. We've got a bit of a thing here too that, you know, what stay, what happens on tour stays on tour, you know. What happened in family life, you know, if, if he tells a funny story, I'll tell a funny yeah. story. And this could get really interesting. But Yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm definitely on the losing battle of that one. So that's all right. it's we've talked news. about that. You, you're, not, you're not allowed to. Um, is that my three minutes? That's pretty uh, much, I think the rest is handed over to Sandra for the rest of the night now. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's great to be here, yeah. Mitch and... Uh, we love your church. We love this church. We, uh, it's where Mitchell and Annalisa uh, have called home. Of course, you've known Annalisa all these years. Uh, and we've got to know uh, Pastor Tony and Pastor Patsy, uh, Julie and I, my wife Julie, who's here. So I am the husband of one wife. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, we, we love coming here. And from time to time, we've been able to come and listen to uh, Mitch uh, and, and some others sharing, and uh, you just have a great spirit in your church. We love what God's doing here, and uh, we feel a real connect with you. If I can, that's that's point one out of twenty-three. You said I could no. No, that's um, right. Yeah, that's my acknowledgements. Um, I'm, as I said, husband of of uh, one wife. I'm the father of Mitchell, so I feel very successful as a parent. Uh, we have seven kids. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. That's a lot. Uh, we have a family of seven and uh, four boys and three girls. So the, the boys won in a penalty shootout, 4-3. But um, so, you know, we love family life. We have a big family. That's a big part of our lives. Um, I'm a Christian. I've been a believer uh, for uh, nearly or something like about 40 years. I've been in Christian ministry as a pastor as well. So it's good to be a Christian and a pastor, a pastor who's also a Christian. And um, it's a really good combination. I've been a pastor for about 35 uh, years and uh, just incredible the call of God. We came to faith, I'll mention that later. Um, we came to faith in the middle of a science degree. I think God's got an incredible sense of humor, you know, that, you know, I grew up agnostic, um, atheist, studying marine science at James Cook University at the age of about 18, and then at 19, he starts to reveal himself to me and his truth and who he was. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a journey I was looking for, but I came to faith. He reveals himself, and that was a watershed moment that changed my uh, direction from going into purely into sciences, but I ended up in pastoral ministry, ended up in mission work, aid and development. Uh, we did some education work as well. There's been some secular dimensions of that that Julie and I have done. And uh, the last 12 years, a member of parliament. Uh, the why, uh, the reasons for all of that is once you come to faith and you realise you belong to him, He's not only saviour, he's Lord, he's the one who guides your life. Uh, you want to follow him and find his will and do it all the days of your life. So, we, you know, we had this call into politics in the last 12 years, something we didn't see coming, a mix of Christian leadership and being a Christian leader in a parliament. Uh, some people wonder if that's mutually exclusive. Uh, it has been a challenge, but God has been there for us and we've no doubt he's, uh, he's used us in that capacity and, and still is so bit of a bit of a snapshot an overview there and i believe you've uh, since then gone into doing some politics political work and things like that did you cover the last is yeah, that the last the, 12 years yeah, there you yeah, go yeah, so yeah i'm glad everyone's listening um, um that's really powerful thanks for sharing that dad um, yeah, it's a, it's a I, sense of destiny mitch you know yeah. it's it's 
God calls you, he's got a purpose. He's got a place for you, your days are numbered. He's got everything mapped out for you and it's finding it. Finding your purpose, what it was I born for. And uh, I think like Sandy, we feel a lot about um, legacy, helping people find their place, multiplying and, and, and replicating yourself and others and then the next generation will be even better than we are and stand on our shoulders. I think that's a big part when you've been around, around a little while. And um, Sandy, do you mind sharing how the Christian worldview specifically for you has um, impacted you in your personal life? Sure. Well, I'm going to share in two different ways. So first, like just personally, um, I had a rather dramatic encounter when I came to Christ. So my whole world changed and um, it became very clear where my allegiances and loyalty were now. And I really, you know, I'm the sort of person that I go into things quite passionately. (laughs) So I really just went into serving God with all my heart and soul and thought, oh, I'll have to be a missionary or something like that. Um, I did do a bit of mission work, but there were other things also that God had for me to do. So um, for me, it's everything. Like having a Christian worldview is absolutely fundamental to who I am and everything I do. So now, uh, since becoming a Christian, that Christ is absolutely centre of my life. So everything, the way I see everything, the way I understand everything is interpreted through my relationship with Christ. And so, of course, the Bible itself has been very central in that, in knowing, like, who God is, plus the Holy Spirit and my personal experience. So it's been, um, yeah, fundamentally life-changing to become a Christian. So everything, so he is the absolute centre and my life is in fidelity to him. So kind of I'm off the throne, (laughs) even with my own, like, desires and ambitions. Secondly, I wanted to just say about why or how the Christian worldview has affected me so much because just from a purely objective point of view, the Christian worldview is one of the most deeply satisfying worldviews one can have, especially in comparison to like secular humanism or um, atheism or, you know, any other religion, Islam, Buddhists, you know, all sorts of other religions. Christianity really has a very coherent worldview. When you understand the whole meta-narrative of the Bible and all the different doctrines of God, they all fit together. So when you're trying to evaluate whether something's true or not, and it was very important to me that Christianity was true, um, yes, it needed to be true for me to worship God, Um, there's two main theories, and one's the coherence theory and the other one is the... um, The other one is the correspondence theory. So um, with the coherence theory, as I said, that everything that we believe about the Bible and what the Bible teaches us about God, all the big questions of life, where we came from, why we're here, what went wrong, what are the answers, what happens when we die, all those big questions are answered in the scripture and they are coherent, like they all hold together and that's very important. Um, Because sometimes we believe things and we believe different things and they're quite disparate with other things we believe. But when we truly get a a really good grasp of what scripture says, it's this beautiful integrated whole. And so that's deeply satisfying for me intellectually and also just experientially. And secondly, the correspondence theory is that um, what we believe should correspond to reality. 
and I have found that um, the Christian faith deeply corresponds to our reality. I see evidence of this in the world all around me every single day. So evidence of the goodness of God. You know, we see the majestic creation, we see the beauty, we see the wonder in creation, we see, you know, cute, cute babies and, you know, cute pets. We see the amazing um, heart of human beings who live sacrificially for others and in, in loving and giving and serving others. We see echoes of God's nature all around us. So we know that, you know, well, we... We think that God is good because of the evidence we see of the goodness of God and the beauty of God around us. And, and also, we see evidence of the corruption of mankind as well. So we see these on two different levels. Again, we see corruption in creation, like we see natural disasters, what theologians would call natural evil, like we have you know, tsunamis and volcanoes and, and fires and floods and all those sort of things, and we, we see the terror of nature. And that's only because it's in also in a fallen state. And then we also see um, what theologians will call moral evil. And so that's our moral choice to do evil. So we see these in the, you know, like inexplicable evil of what human beings can do to other human beings, like in murder and genocide and, uh, you know, and rape and child slavery and abuse and, and all those horrible things. We actually see the reality of evil. So this does not disprove God at all. In fact, it, it kind of buttresses that uh, the Bible is true because God tells us that we're fallen in nature and that we have moral choices and he permits sin and evil because of our moral choices, but our moral choice is not absolute, that God um, makes us accountable for our choices and he will judge. So all of those things are in the Bible. <laughs> And when I look at all my life and the life around me, everything and the, rela the way relationships work, where, you know, where forgiveness, compassion, all those things which the Bible tells us, this is the way of God, this is the way that you should live your life. I see that. I see the reality of that around me every single day. So I have great confidence that the biblical worldview is um, truth. Yeah. I think it's helpful, coherent and corresponds to reality. To reality. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to live with your eyes closed or um, no, ignore some No, it's not separate. Truths. You know, it's not some spiritual thing that I believe that is separate to my real life. You know, it has real implications every day, whether I'm forgiving, whether I'm working, walking in kindness and, and yeah, all those sort of things. That's, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. Um, so, Dad, yourself there, what... Um, Similar question, what has the Christian worldview um, meant for you in terms of how has it impacted your own personal uh, life? Yeah, thanks, Mitch. Um, I mean, obviously, and, and what Sandy's shared is very broad and great framework. Mm. Worldview is your framework. It's, your, it's, the, it's the roadmap. It's the how you live life. It's how you do everything. And... For me, I have to back up a step and say I came to faith without really fully understanding a worldview because it was an encounter with Christ first. Mine was a Damascus Road experience in the middle of a worldview that was completely at odds with the biblical worldview in many ways. As uh, an agnostic who'd become an evolutionary 
science-based student who then had a view that, you know, I didn't really think there was a place for God. I thought what Christian people did was nice at a human level. They were caring people, met a few of them. They told me about the gospel and it kind of added up. I sort of understood from their worldview, from what they were trying to tell me, but it never really registered. It was that spark of revelation. It was that God intervening moment for me where I didn't believe and then saw that there was a supernatural world. There were real, And I don't really have time. And these days as a member of parliament, I have to be a little bit careful when I tell the supernatural dynamic of my Damascus Road experience. You'll excuse me tonight for not going into great detail. But basically, when you experience that there is a supernatural world and you experience evil, and then you experience Christ's intervention being called upon his name and him, and him coming in and, and dealing with that and you see him bringing a solution to an immediate power encounter that you, you need, um, that changes your worldview. You know, for me that was a beachhead for the rest of my life. I, I in coming to Jesus, developed, started to develop then a Christ-centric worldview, one that had him at the centre I'd never understood God's word nor read it, so I, I just kept reading and devouring God's word. It fueled my spirit and it fueled, it, it put together a framework of how I, I not only could understand the world, but I could practically live. It was practical, it worked. And for me, that was important uh, as a very left brain, linear logic type person. I, not a doubting Thomas person, but someone who liked to see answers to things. But God, in, God invaded my world and came into my life in something that I wasn't really searching for at the time, but I'm so glad he did. So for me, it was a Christ-centric thing. He came in, changed things, became the centre, and from there has guided my life. But the biblical worldview and framework around that, around it, it's like an inner compass. You know, you're out at sea. I don't know if you've ever been out at sea and storms come and you can barely see where you're going. Uh, that compass is critical. It guides you through dark moments, difficult times, uh, and God's word it really provides that framework. And it's, it's a framework of grace and truth that works together. Jesus was full of grace, full of truth. He spoke the truth in love. You know, he wasn't harsh with the truth generally. Had a crack shot at some of the religious people who should have known better. He did give them a hard time. He wasn't nice and soft on some of them. But he was mostly full of grace and truth at the same time. There's a framework that I find really works for me in everything I face. Wow, that's so awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Dad. Um, Sandra, I was going to ask you, um, in your workplace, you mentioned that you had studied in a um, Christian environment, but also in a secular university as well. So I was curious as to what that experience was like for you being a Christian in a secular workplace, and um, could you just share some something about that? What was it like being having a Christian worldview in a place where may not necessarily share that same worldview. Yeah, well, it was very different. Um, actually, a lot of my education was in secular universities, um, whereas, like, a lot of my work has been in Christian organisations and institutions, um, which is quite different. But at, whilst I was at university, uh, <laughs> there was, I think, you know, the question was, like, you know, uh, do you find resistance and challenge to your Christian worldviews? And um, yes, all the time, every day. <laughs> you know, like this is something that Jesus said that we were to expect. 
And, you know, we shouldn't really be surprised at all because, you know, it is this supernatural kingdom that um, kind of exposes the kingdoms of this world and, you know, the conviction of the Holy Spirit um, upon sin uh, doesn't always go down really well with people or, you know, sort of this contrary moral law which is perfect. Um, people sometimes get quite bristly around that. Um, mainly at, at university, um, in a social philosophy class and then other things, uh, a lot around pro-life issues and euthanasia and stuff like that. So social issues was where I really felt it when I wanted to um, like present a biblical worldview and it was quite terrifying because, like, you know, the, the main... The main gist of a lot of our readings and everything was very slighted in one direction and it took a lot of courage to go the other direction. But I did and I made some, um, some waves, some good waves. Um, I had people change their mind, people want to debate me. Um, a professor wanting a copy of my paper on abortion and things like that. There was another one I recall when, the, again, it was another pro-life one. Um, this is where I encountered like real animosity um, from other people. Um, but uh, I think you asked like, what, what do you do? <laughs> how do you manage to handle that? How do you handle like, it? Yeah, how, how um, handle? You know, like just to be, I suppose in prayer first, I remember praying a lot for these things and just being really, really calm and really confident that, you know, I am not trying to put my opinion onto anyone else. All I'm doing, my call is just to be faithful witness to Christ and, you know, my confidence in God and his truth and his reasonableness and his compassion and his good character just always carries me through on very difficult topics. I mean, I think you have to be extremely humble um, and teachable, but at the same time, really confident that if you've really sought God's perspective on something and you're presenting his principles, that you don't have anything to be ashamed of or to apologise for. So I do, you know, I did a lot of things scared <laughs> with my um, knees, my knees sort of shaking, but I, yeah, I had some incredible experiences at university in quite volatile um, environments, but I stood strong and I'm so glad I did. And I, I really need to say that it was the best thing for me. It was my training ground. That's where I cut my teeth for apologetics at university um, and exposing myself to like different arguments and not just the arguments, but people, <laughs> you know, like people who like have the opposite spirit to you. And one thing I learned in YWAM is always come in the opposite spirit. So if someone's very kind of proud and haughty or whatever, you come very meek and very humble um, with a quiet answer, you know, a quiet answer turns away wrath, things like that. So I've, I've learned how to conduct myself in um, situations that have been very challenging or, um, yeah, challenging. <laughs> I like that and how it was like your training ground. That's a good way of putting it, that you learn a lot about the world, other worldviews that are out there by engaging in that world and um, learning to strengthen your own. I think that's really good. Um, so, Dad, obviously being in politics for you, I'm sure it, politics being a place where not everybody holds to a Christian worldview, um, what's that like for yourself? Um, have you ever come up against any challenges 
Have you had seasons of um, difficulty or resistance and how have you managed to handle that? No, it's all been really straightforward, Mitch. I thought so. Um, so, Sandra. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess for me, if I can go back and like Sandra, at university, training ground for your mind, learning to engage with people, not backing down, not, re not, not thinking, well, not being arrogant, oh, I've got all the answers because I know God, coming humbly and saying, well, look, I found something that's really worked for me. Um, you know, the Bible talks about having, being able to give an answer, you know, for the faith that you hold. I learned I didn't have to convert everybody. I started to realise that's God's job to convert people's heart. Mine is to be salt and light, to create a thirstiness and believe and pray and fast for people and see the miraculous happen in their lives, which we did see in the campus ministry that we did. Um, so we found in the place where God is mocked was one of the best, most amazing campus revivals that happened in Australia with thousands of young students in all kinds of backgrounds coming to faith across our nation in the 80s and early 90s. But it's standing your ground in, you know, not backing down, learning how to share more confidently. Um, I learned that at university as a believer. Um, came in handy the last 12 years, Mitch, in politics, funny enough. Um, but yes, at politics, it's another level of, of it's not having a chat with somebody at a, at a picnic table on a university campus. Um, you know, this is now for all the world to see. The media uh, are terrible to Christians generally, my experience, the mainstream media. Um, I thank God for Christians and media like David Pallo and others that um, are able to bring uh, truth and able to bring argument in a way that... Um, isn't just swamped by the mainstream media that generally are very anti-Christian these days. So in politics, there's the media to deal with, there's the uh, chamber to deal with, um, there's your own colleagues to deal with, and you do have to learn how to persuade, convince people of your argument. You do have to do it in secular uh, sense. Like Sandy, for me, I had a lot of years working with Christian people and Christian organisations, and then to have a a block of time in my life so far, a chapter of 12 years in politics. I never saw that coming. God never showed me that in my younger years. I've always still seen myself as a Christian leader. I don't, I don't see that I've moved out of one call to another. I feel one call's morphed into a, another context. But um, so, you know, whether it's abortion, whether it's life-affirming issues like abortion and euthanasia, we fought those battles. We held the line for some time. We ultimately lost. But the war's not over. And, uh, you know, we'll keep, you know, putting forward the truth. I mean, if you look in the Bible, Jeremiah didn't win every argument, okay? He was prophetic. He did what God told him to do. Was he successful? Yes. Did he convert all of Israel back to God? No, it was a tough life. Why do they think they call him the weeping prophet? You know, you know, it would have been the smiley prophet if everything went well. So he stood his ground. He did, he was obedient. Sometimes all you can be in your workplace is obedient to what God puts on your heart. Share the truth in love and grace. I've learned too, Mitch, in terms of worldview, this sort of morphing a little more. Being there. But pray for people. Give God the chance to intervene. So tell people, I'm praying for you. You want to see God intervene and people see a revelation of truth? You know, bring God into the picture and let him turn up supernaturally and sovereignly. And it's amazing how many times he turns up and people go, I got that job you prayed for. And I, 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 I had a, a, sorry, I had an atheist friend of mine phone me, sick in hospital. And he said, he texted me, he said, Mark, I can't believe I'm asking you this. Would you pray for me? 
The guy's high up in one of the universities. He's an atheist. He met a very difficult physical health situation. Who did he come to? Someone he trusted, he knew that would, someone that prayed, someone that would become a friend. He doesn't have lots of religious friends. And I prayed with him. And then I went down to visit him at the hospital. And because he was actually quite unwell. And I'm not going to say God just sovereignly turned up and everything felt great and he got sovereignly healed. But he attributes the fact that he got better quickly to our prayers. So do you think that changes somebody's worldview? They start to say, hey, there is a God out there. I don't understand how it all works. But he turns up when we pray like that. So anyway, that's, Mitch, I that's think I very sort of powerful. Went around a few no, that's good. There. I answered all the questions. I actually had another one that was related. It was, what advice would you give to someone who's also going through um, resistance in their workplace? But you answered that with prayer, obedience. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to? Some advice? Yeah, Sandy. Yeah, just just be bold, but be humble. Um, don't back down, but um, you know, be careful with your words. Um, just walk that fine line, <laughs> which takes a lot of skill, but it's possible. Yeah, yeah and, and I just totally agree with what Mark said. I mean, we're called to be faithful witnesses to Christ. In a sense, the consequences to that or the results of that are up to God and that other person's response. So we're not there to kind of save people. God does the saving, but we are there to testify. So we're there to be like accurate witnesses and, and authentic witnesses to Christ and then the burden's, you know, quite light when you see it that way. Yeah. Can I add, really love people. You know, one of the things I found about Christ at the centre of my worldview is he teaches me to love people and the unlovely people, the prickly people. In politics, there's a lot of prickly people. Funny that, isn't it? There's a lot of prickly people. And I remember once there was a particular member of parliament and he'd done the wrong thing to me in a particular piece of legislation that really affected my electorate, my people in a bad way, and he knew he'd done it. And there was another piece of legislation coming up that was really critical. And um, I felt I was really disappointed, but I expected him to do what he did. And I don't think I did anything special. I just didn't write him off. I still treated him kindly. I wasn't nasty. This next piece of legislation comes along and he calls me and he said, Mark, I'm about to announce something to the media. It's critical because it means a piece of legislation won't happen. And he said, I wanted you to know first before it's out there. He wasn't close to me. He had no reason to say this. He said, Mark, that last time, he said, I know what I did now was wrong and I know that hurt you and, and what you wanted to see happen. He said, but when I've done this, my other colleagues, they've just shunned me. They've treated me terribly. I've been like a pariah in the corner. And he said, but you didn't do that to me. He said, but you had no reason to be nice to me after, but you were. And he said, that made me think more about what it was we were going to do. And I know what you want on this piece of legislation. And I'm just phoning to let you know before the world and the media know I'm supporting that. I, I'm, I'm not going in that direction. And it means that legislation won't get up. And it was a really critical moral bill to me. But I just say it not because I did anything super. I actually don't think I did much. I sort of just think I did the minimum what a Christian should do and try to love your enemies. Jesus said that. And that's prickly people and they're there. But I tell you, the prickly people sometimes turn around 
when they see a bit of love and, and then you've got a chance to get to the core and worldview and see transformation. That, that scripture that comes to mind of that they will know that you are Christ's by how we treat, how we love one another. Um, Can I just quickly add yeah. to that? Like yeah. character is everything. I think yeah. just exemplifying Christ's character and especially like just as Mark said, when people do you wrong and you forgive them and you love those who, who persecute you, and it's just ginormous. It's just, it's so effective. It, it, it does change people's hearts. There's a, there's a really good book um, by, um, I think Donald Craybill, I think is the author, called The Upside Down Kingdom. And um, it's all about how Christ's way is the opposite to the world's way. You know, he who wants to be master, be servant of all. He who wants to be the highest, be the lowest. You want the best seat in the house, take the lowest seat. It's incredible when you do it Christ's way and you just keep pushing yourself to do it the best way, do it Jesus' way. Um, it's amazing how God turns up. People say, oh, I don't see God move. If you do it God's way, God, I mean, worldview is ultimately doing it God's way. And if we follow that and do it and apply it into all the spheres of our lives as best we can, you know, you, you, you live an amazing life. You see God do great things. Wow, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing both of you. Um, Sandra, I know that we had you in last time uh, a few months ago now on the topic of immortality. Uh, that was a lot of fun. That was an interesting topic. Um, and I've also heard... Uh, that you are writing a book at the moment on the topic. So could you just share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I'm very excited. Um, I am writing a book. Well, it's nearly almost done. So it's basically a retwigged um, version of my thesis. And it's, so I do have a publishing contract. It's called um, Reaching for Immortality, Can Science Cheat Death? And the subtitle is uh, Christian's Response to Transhumanism. So it basically details what transhumanism is and um, just how the Christian's um, concept of immortality, in particular resurrection and, and life in the world to come, is very different to what the transhumanist agenda is, which is basically trying to make us last forever through technology, um, not like trying to cheat death and trying to either... Um, so there's two different ways. Well, there's a lot of different ways of trying to do it, but one is just radical life extension. So, you know, all, all the science and technology around preserving our life to live longer, to look younger and reverse, you know, the ageing process and all those sort of things. Um, and then ultimately um, cybernetic immortality, which is... Um, which they're hoping to reach by 2045. Ray Kurzweil is the main proponent of this. And they're, they're trying to upload our consciousness either into a prosthetic body or a machine. Um, and it, it's pretty wild. I mean, it sounds like just science fiction, but they are actually progressing towards this. And so I took it upon myself. I had no idea what I was getting into to write a defence, a Christian defence to this and that became my thesis and now I've turned it into a book and I think it's just because it's so topical that people are very interested in it. So um, that sort of, it will be going to the um, publishers soon, probably out next year, early next year. Out next year. Oh, okay, I'm going to make sure we get a copy of that. Isn't it a fascinating topic? I think it's really interesting. And then, um, so cryonics, was that another section or part of that, how they freeze the brain? Could you just explain that briefly? If I maybe Sorry, got that, that So cryonics, cryonics, cryonics. Oh, cryonics. So cryonics is, um, 
when they attempt to, well, they are. There is this institute in America, I think it's just called the Cryonics Institute or whatever, um, and so presently they have people's dead bodies, um, mainly very rich people because it's very expensive. So you can um, basically preparing for your immortality. So when you die, you sign up. Well, actually before you die, you sign up and they freeze your body um, until such time that they develop this technology that they're working on in order to, like, reanimate their bodies. Um, well, they think reanimate their persons, but I would argue that they won't be doing that. They will literally just be reanimating like a physical body or patterns of a, their brain because the soul is not there because we know that when death comes, our soul goes back to God or judgment. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a... But they... And apparently now they don't need your whole body, they just need your head. <laughs> so just they're the just they're just freezing heads now <laughs> um, in order to bring the person back to life. Can I get that done to me? How, much, how expensive is that? I'm not sure how expensive it is, See, Mitch. But, I mean, this is serious business. A lot of people have signed up and they are literally, like, waiting for the technology. I mean, it just brings up all sorts of questions, doesn't it? Like, how do you know that they're going to be faithful? You're dead. <laughs> like, how do That's they know? Point. You know, and do you have enough money to last for how many years until they can develop this technology? It's, it's You can't really come back for revenge, wild. can you? Yeah, so that's right. That's a, that's a biggest problem. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, it does sound like a bad movie. There's a lot of movies that are, that are doing similar things. I've a seen a lot, and I have a whole chapter, well, half a chapter on all um, transhumanism topics in movies. Um, you know, it started way back decades ago, but like, um, there's quite an influx recently um, of futuristic movies um, of uh, like altered carbon is like. Uh, whole series about people like when dying and then just uploading their what they call a sleeve into the next body um but it, it brings up all sorts of moral and social issues like you wouldn't believe and then there's lots of um science fiction movies at the moment like like with barcodes and everything and, and social credits and and all sorts of interesting things fascinating yes I'd love to be able to talk more on that, but we'll we'll keep moving. So, um, Dad, I was going to ask you: uh, Are there any areas specifically that you think that the church is lacking a little in, or maybe a lot in, um, and that you would think we some recommendations or advice as to how we could improve in that area? I mean, we, we're all in. I mean, the church is made up of individuals, and we're all on a journey. You know, we are all. Uh, find the grace of God, we find uh, the transformation of the gospel, sanctification happen, happening in our lives. And, you know, so we're not perfect and we're not perfect as church bodies coming to, you know, as whole church organisations as well. Um, having said that, we can do better. And I think being more Christ-like, I think that's really, I mean, I keep learning the more I can be like Jesus in the way he does things, the more it, it makes the most improved, better version of who I'm meant to be. And I think that's true for all of us on that journey, on that adventure with Christ. How do we make, you know, how, how do we inculcate uh, Christ within? You know, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It has to be incarnated. He has to be incarnated within you. Um, so I think 
the more we do that, the better all the other outcomes are, all the other things we do. Um, having said that, in my area, if you like, being a member of parliament, Christian people engaging more effectively in that space is so important. We've sort of vacated it, if I can be a bit tangential or specific here, Mitch, we, we've kind of vacated that space. In the past, we were treated nicely. It's like, well, then they're the nice church people. You know, they're good people, you just leave them. Separation of church and state, I guess. You leave them out there. You know, they've got their Facebook today. They've got what they say online. They've got um, however they run their business. We used to be left alone. Now, now we're not. What's happened now, I'd have to say, and I don't mean to be negative, because I believe ultimately God's on the throne, but we've got people that have come into positions in parliaments and in critical uh, place uh, institutions. I mean, look at our universities. They've gone so left in a, not just a political left, but in a very woke, cancel culture. It's almost seen as the new norm, and you and I are somewhere at the far right crazies, you know? That's how we're now being, that's now how we're being presented, our views. Once upon a time accepted as the norm reasonable, oh, that's what people of faith believe and that's okay. Now it's not okay. Now we're not being left alone. Now they're coming to our Facebook and our, you know, our business and saying, you can't do that that way. And they're coming in with a new norm and the new norm is an extreme form of secularism, a woke cancel culture that won't let you believe and say the things you have because it may be, what you teach your children may be reshaped as a form of child abuse because you might be teaching them something about marriage, about family, about what's right and wrong. This is all shaping and changing. My view is we massively must reconnect with the sphere of government and politics and parliaments because unfortunately people have weaponized them against Christian people and against Christian thought. We should have a place in society. We don't want to dominate everything, but we don't want to find ourselves so pushed into the corner that we can't even hold and share and express the faith we've got. Can I say for one moment, that's why I think the bill before the federal parliament, I'd encourage you to pray. The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has personally brought in a religious discrimination bill. Yes, I'd like it to have a lot more in it. There's more protections that ideally could be in there. The reality is, they won't go through the Senate, and so you get nothing. So I'll, you know, I've had to accept at times that politics is the art of the possible, faith is the art of the impossible, and sometimes the two you know, collide. But for now, we need to get what we can, and this could be an absolute watershed piece of legislation that, that provides the protections and the human rights for Christians going forward. I've never really believed in that school of thought that we've ever needed that, Leave us alone, let us self-regulate, let us just be believers. But the problem is now, there's this woke cancel culture that won't let us be ourselves. And we do need protection in laws. Our constitution kind of gives it to us, the freedom of religion, but it's not spelled out in specific laws. And that's the problem. The laws have been turned, other things put in there and turned against Christian people. So I want the freedom for my grandchildren and great-grandchildren, should the Lord tarry. I want the freedom for them to be Christians and not find that they're pariahs in the corner just because they believe in God. And you yeah, might think right. that that's overstated, but it's actually not. And, and so do pray, whether you vote whatever way you do or whether you like any particular leader or not. I'm not calling on any of that today. I'm simply saying, please pray. Um, 
If you know a, a federal member of parliament, encourage them, email, write them, engage is the word. Don't sit back, let's pray and then engage or else we're going to end up with a different Australia in the future. But I, I've got a positive outlook. I think, you know, if we do engage, we can change the way people think. And if we're loving, full of grace, full of truth, people like us, we're there serving, loving, being kind, you win people over and they want, they want you to be there and your kind of thinking, you know, is seen as okay. That's very real, very practical. Thanks for that, Dad. Um, Sandra, same question for you. Um, are there some areas that you think that, that the church is lacking in, uh, maybe specifically in worldview or how we represent ourselves to, in the public sphere? Um, anything that we could do to improve on that? Yeah, I think just generally um, we need more Christians to be able to articulate a biblical worldview in the marketplace. Um, and that's kind of for everybody. Um, especially like social issues, just seeing them through like a biblical lens. But I just agree with Mark. I think we do need strong leaders. We need more leaders who are Christian in politics like Mark, um, in law, in government, in social services. We need um, Christians who are courageous enough to, um, you know, speak up for justice and compassion and um, expose corruption I think, um, you know, being a leader, there's always the temptations for all the perks of the office and everything and people do get corrupted by power and fame and money and I think we need, like, the good shepherd character of leaders that, that will actually care about the general populace and make rules and um, stand up for what's right for everybody and not just, you know, um, be worried about themselves. So I think there's a, a real need for godly leaders in the marketplace as well like as politicians as lawyers as head of education departments and social services and stuff like that I think we have a, a real need for that how can like someone who's just maybe young who sees the need there what can they do to help um, reconnect that um, well just uh, line, align themselves up with people that are already doing it right. <laughs> takes yeah, get some mentoring or internship with people who are already doing that. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's a journey. You need to be, you know, trained and taught and, and to see other people doing it well. Yeah, coming alongside other people and supporting people like Mark and that. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's great. We have just about ten minutes left. And so what I was thinking was um, we could even open up to the rest of the room here anybody who has questions we could do a, a small q a just really quickly um that's probably like two or three questions maximum but if anyone's here who really wants to ask either mark or sandra a question we have a microphone that's down here and um, make them as difficult as you can make them really challenging questions um, uh, yeah, so just keep it keep it um, relevant to what we're talking about if you can. Um, so yeah, it just slip your hand up if that's you. If you have a question, um, otherwise we can continue on. Don't all put your hands up but at once. While they're thinking of questions, who thinks Sandra would make a great member of Parliament? <laughs> I'm sitting here listening, saying, "Wow, you know, this would be amazing in the federal Parliament," you know. She would be. You're too kind. Um, sorry. Can't help myself, you know. 
we can go back there. Yeah, hi. This is. Can you hear me? Yeah. That's good. Thanks for this. This has been amazing. Um, I do have a question for Mark, and that is that is there a plan for future politicians to raise up and train? Because you've got the ethical, the Christian, you know, character, if you like, like um, you were saying, but are there any initiatives, any plans of raising up other future politicians? Because we really need to raise up some strong believers. Whether they're young or whether they're mature age, it doesn't matter, but is there any, you know, initiative, any plan, any any thought of, of doing that so that we can replace some of the unrighteous and unjust leaders? Yeah, look, that's a really great question and um, I'd have to say it tends to happen more organically. So firstly, it tends to just someone's inspired by somebody else, starts to work perhaps in a team to help them out and then the, an opportunity comes and the idea comes, well, why don't you think of running for that? Um, I would like to see it operate a bit more strategically than that. Uh, as soon as I start talking that way and anything that goes out there online, it's, you know, turns into some, you know, you know, secret group faction that's, you know, branch stacking and all of that. So I, I, I just be careful in what I say that I think we need more people in there. Uh, I think that um, we need more people who pray. We need more people who, uh, you know, once every three or four years turn up at an election and hand out for a couple of hours for a good, a good solid political person, someone with good value, values. You know, um, whatever the brand, I'm not here today to promote a brand. I don't believe any political party has all of the answers we need. And in some kind of an interesting way, the way that a democracy of people from different walks of life coming together uh, and representing all of us kind of works. It's not perfect. So I'm careful about brands. I have a brand. I'm with the LNP. They're not perfect, if you didn't notice. Uh, so, but I've also learnt, let God be God. And... He's the one who speaks to people, puts it in their hearts and says you should run. But I'd like to see us be a bit more strategic than that because I can tell you when, you when you're running against groups like Get Up, and I had Get Up come after me at the last election and it's not a nice feeling. I don't know if you know of Get Up, but they're the group that assassinate Christian people out of uh, political life. They assassinated Tony Abbott and got rid of him and they came after me at the last election. And, you know, it's not, it's not a nice thing. Um, Thank God for people like Australian Christian Lobby, Cherish Life, um, Australian Family Association, Family Voice, Australia, these sorts of groups, National Civic Council, your local churches that pray, all of this kind of, um, the Catholic Church as a major denomination get more involved than probably just about anyone else. And I thank God for the Catholics. Um, where would we be as a nation without good Catholic people that have stood their ground over years, especially pro-life issues? So trying to be short with that, um, yes, there's a whole lot more of engagement that needs to happen. Um, I like it to happen organically where it's you speak, you share it with someone and then they go, can I help? Well, yes, please help and we'll help you and help you be more effective at doing it. Um, the reality is the other side are doing it far more strategically and smarter than we are. And hello, sometimes that's why we keep losing. 
But we, you know, fill the parliaments with more Christian people and you'll have righteous laws. It's really simple. It's actually really simple. So someone to put their hand up, someone to pray for them, business people and others to put in some money. You need two, $300,000 to win a federal seat. You need about $100,000 to win a state seat. If you haven't got that, then you need a super miracle because you're up against an army of uh, what's, what comes against you. And you can't just beat that army. You know, you, you need to go smarter than only prayer. Prayer is powerful, but prayer is the start. And then you've got to build on that and you've got to have the machinery around you. So um, without going into more detail, yes, we need to do so much more because there's all these machines all turned against Christian people out there. Uh, and it's not easy in there as a Christian either. So not a lot of people want to do it. I've had people say, oh, I could do it. I know I could do it. But I've seen what you go through. Why would I do that? And I go, well, you know, can I pray with you? If God calls you, you know, he gives you the strength to be Joseph, you know, uh, to be Esther, to be those sort of people. And that's what we need. Can I just quickly add something? Uh, just a yeah. quick plug. Um, Martin Isles has, uh, he has a... Um, yeah, the Macquarie Institute. So he does have a three-month program, I think, because one of my girlfriend's daughters there at the moment. Yeah, that's right. So, and that's exactly what it's trained to do to train up Christians to stand strong in law, politics and all the rest of it. So there's some things afoot. Well, I think that will probably do us, unless we have a very, very small, quick, quick, quick question. Okay, we've got one. We've already got a microphone. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I'm trying to be sensitive to people's time. um, Mark Robinson. Um, I was just wondering, um, would you, since we were just talking in the end there about um, in, um, internships and things like that, for um, to do that kind of thing, to train up people for that kind of thing, would you, Mark, be interested in, in um, since you're a Christian, um, train up anyone in that area now to bring them into the parliament? Yes, happy to work with people in terms of what God's doing in their life and what part they can play. And for some, that ends up being a member of parliament. And there are people we've worked with. But again, I like to do it in a very organic way. What, you know, not a recruitment type drive, but just a, you know, if, if it's on their heart to do something and get involved, they get involved. And we've seen lots of people start as volunteers and then end up doing something more career-like um, but a lot of people stay as mainly the volunteers it's not necessarily for them you have to jump a few hoops and a few levels and sometimes they feel well look that's the, the level and I'll, I'll you know they'll stop at that level but they're really very helpful in the overall cause I'd be part of that that sounds like a lot of fun uh, we've got one more here um, Hello. Um, my question to maybe Sandy, but if there's time for Dad as well, is what would you say has been your greatest challenge within your calling and purpose and what you're doing with your life? Nice, easy one to end yeah, on. Yeah, really, really brief. Yeah, no. My greatest challenge. And maybe what your response to that is. Probably the greatest challenge to my faith has been, you know, crises and suffering. Um, But I've learnt to see that differently. Um, 
in retrospect, I've seen it's actually drawn me closer to God and that's the greatest, richest thing I ever had, that anything that the enemy threw my way to try and knock me out or take me away from God actually pushed me further towards God and made me stronger. So it's probably the greatest challenge and also the greatest victory I've had that through everything that I've been through, I've never really, I mean, you know, I've had my doubts and stuff, I've had my bad days, <laughs> I've had my, you know, meltdowns, but I have never um, given up faith in God and I've, I've, that's the most precious thing I have, yeah. And I've had some pretty hard knocks. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here, both Sandra and uh, Dad. Thank you so much for such great answers and, yeah, can we give them a uh, applaud for their time? Um, what a fun night and um, uh, I trust we've all learned something really, really good from that. So, uh that wraps up this evening. Um, that's pretty much bang on seven o'clock. So thank you everybody who's here for coming. Thank you everyone who's watching online. And um, a special thank you to Pastor Tony and Patsy for allowing this setting with Worldview uh, for this year. It's been, it's been a blast and um, I've enjoyed it and I'm sure many people have too. Um, so we'll close with a prayer and go from there. Actually, could I ask... Dad, did you mind closing with a prayer? Let's all stand, will we? And good on you, Mitch. I think it's great that Mitch, why don't we give it up for Mitch through this series um, for what he's done. And, um, you know, um, I've enjoyed the nights we've been able to come along and hear something deeper and meatier. And, you know, I think the engagement out there into the world, as Pentecostals, we've gone deeper in the decades, the previous few decades, deeper in our teaching and our understanding of God's truth and knowledge. And, and we've gone wider in how we've articulated that to the world. Um, you know, and, and, and listening to Sandy talk about, the, uh, you know, that whole area with her book, you know, she's engaging with some of the latest stuff. The Christians, Christians should be at the vanguard. We should be at the edges and, and, and not saying, oh, no, we're back over there and, you know, people just worlds apart. So it's great that we can do that. And Worldview it's, is where we really interface with the world and it's so important to, to, to be able to go deep like that so, and, and engage. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your goodness and your love. We want to thank you for your grace. We want to thank you that you've given us minds to use. You, you gave us minds to be uh, sharp to be alert, to be wise, uh, to be as uh, wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Father, that we would be in the world, not of the world, that we would be in our workplace, but not of that workplace, that we would be people who would be salt and light, that we'd be people that others would look up to and see, uh, see Christ in us. And we thank you, Father, that in our engagement with the world, it doesn't have to pull us back and pull us down, but we can thrive, not just survive. We can thrive out there. You, you made us more than conquerors, more than overcomers. And Father God, we thank you that that's how we stand today, not as some insipid small group in the corner, Father, that's just a victim group and trying to just get by. Father, you made us overcomers. You made us conquerors. You made us people to go out into the world uh, and to do great exploits for you and with you. And we thank you, Father, that each one of us can do that. 
in the place that you've put us. I pray for all of the sessions that Mitchell's taught. I pray you bless him for it, Father. I pray that the things that have been learnt can be inculcated in our lives, that we might be better and sharper and stronger and faster and do the things you've called us to do out in the world, that they would be amazed and see how different and better we are because of what you're doing, Father. We thank you for it. I pray a special prayer of blessing upon Tony and Patsy as the pastors of this church, this beautiful congregation and, and a church that's a light uh, that's a light on a hill out into the community. And we thank you for them. We pray your special blessing on them as the pastors and leaders, as the God-ordained ones to lead this congregation. Father God, into the destiny you have for it, uh, into next year, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 All righty. Well, thank you all for coming again. And um, God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your night and have a great week. God bless you. Bye-bye. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.